From the two-part harmony of Simon and Garfunkel, the multi-dimensional tapestry of a classical or gospel choir, to the experimental vocal arrangements of pop rock songs like Bohemian Rhapsody or Africa by the band Toto. Singing a note that's different but complements another note is like one plus one equals 117. Let's talk about the power of harmony. Hello, this is Judy Rodman. You're listening to All Things Vocal Podcast. This is the audio version of the blog you can find at judyrodman.com. Human voices can resonate and magnify each other like violins and other organic instruments can. Singing harmony can be incredibly fulfilling as it emanates from you in the middle of a rich, multi-layered, co-created sound and connects you to the people you're singing with. If you are or are seeking to become a professional vocalist, being able to find and sing harmony can add a significant revenue stream to your career. Here are some instances. When your lead career is on pause or not happening at the moment, you can get employment, singing backgrounds for someone else's live show or studio project. Another instance, there can be significant networking and career building possibilities if you can sing harmony with another artist, say on a TV show, uh, a co-tour, or a writer's round. And Musicians who don't normally sing can actually learn to do so pretty quickly. I've taught touring players who never considered themselves singers to sing harmony confidently in live shows and in the studio. For all these reasons and more, learning to find, choose, match, and create harmony is a worthy goal for anyone. So let's dig in. Let's talk about how to pick a part. Harmonizing is a bit tricky because there's more than one choice of notes that you can make work with the same melody. For instance, you can simply sing an exact parallel distance above or below the melody, say thirds, fifths, or sixths. Or you can sing different intervals to different notes. Or you can do like Emmylou Harris and create a contrasting melody to be the harmony part. If the melody goes all over the place, you could cross voice in harmony without going too high or too low. Or as a group, you could create block harmony, inverting chords to move as little as you can while letting the melody do as it wishes. There's lots of creative choices like that. And of course, when you create more than one part, three or four or more part harmony, you have to take into consideration how each harmony note works with the other. Some choices just sound better than the others. So some experimentation is often needed to settle on the best choices. To make the best choices of notes, you also have to take into account the musical genre in which you're singing. There are certain harmony choices that sound more true to specific genres. You must immerse yourself in that music and study it to choose parts wisely. For instance, blues uses lots of flat sevens. Bluegrass does not. Jazz incorporates major sevens, four sharps, 
diminished and augmented chords. And these more complicated chords are taken into account when creating the harmonies. Western music is instantly recognizable with four-part barbershop-like tight harmonies, often using twos and nines in note choices. For rock music, sometimes your harmony choice can be so wrong, meaning it disregards the underlying chords and chord progressions in the track, that it's just right. Celtic music prefers fifths, and I really like to leave out thirds for some traditional mountain country music that uses one harmony part. Bluegrass commonly fills choruses with full, simple triads, strong progressions, and sometimes momentary suspended notes leading into the next chord, mostly sung straight tone. Check out Allison Krauss and Union Station performing Down to the River to Pray. I'll leave a link to that in the podcast notes. As to multiple parts, there are some brilliantly complex arrangements in many pop as well as black gospel music that frequently change from unison to four or more parts, but are so masterfully arranged, they sound like a sonic tapestry with no seams. Harmony choices can indicate generational eras. These days, there's a whole lot less oohs and ahs sung in background vocals than there used to be. So if you use them, you've got to be very careful that they don't make the song sound dated, unless, of course, you're going for a retro sound. And then there's the fact that for every rule created for harmony, there's almost always a hit song that broke that rule. Ah, so how do we train for harmony singing? Well, first of all, you can see, I think, why creating good background vocal arrangements takes experience. Most professional singers who do a lot of session work in the studio or live background vocals on stage have been harmonizing since they were children. Many times they've also worked for veteran producers who ask for a certain harmony, and thus they learned various strategies for arrangements that might not have occurred to them otherwise. But that doesn't mean you can't learn to sing parts without all this history. I've successfully trained many singers to do so. Here's my harmony training strategy. First, I create a harmony that the singer or group likes that also fits the genre of the song that we're working on. Then I sing or play it on the piano and record it so the singer can practice and memorize it. If it's a group I'm dealing with, I'll do this for each part so the singers can individually learn their harmony before putting it all together. Then I have the singers practice. I often use a plastic gadget called earphones to help singers zone into their own parts instead of being pulled into the melody or another part. It works great with groups and with individual singers. After having the singer practice the harmony line a few times, I have them sing with the melody and the other parts. This is when I would take the earphones away and have them practice holding their own on their harmony. And lastly, I have the singer work on controlling the volume and vibrato of their voice while singing the harmony part. If the harmony is too loud, it's going to overtake the melody. If it's too soft, it won't create that sonic envelope that complements and cushions the melody. Getting the volume just right is as much of an art that must be practiced as finding the right note. 
One way that you can become familiar and experiment with more harmony choices is to dissect recordings of songs with background parts in them. You may need headphones, not earphones, but headphones for this to discern the distinct notes in softer blankets of harmony. Try to focus on listening to just one line of harmony at a time, writing it down in either manuscript, on staff lines, or using a shortcut method such as Nashville's number system. For those not familiar with the number system, one is the do or tonic of the key. So the simple melody, Three Blind Mice, would be written three, two, one. Now I'm going to play five different ways to harmonize that little melody. I'll always play the same melody note in the middle, but the top and or bottom parts will change. So listen up, and if you want, try to sing the melody through all these chords. Here's the first one. Number two. Number three. Number four. Number five. Which one of those progressions sounded dissonant to you, or modal? Which genre did each seem to belong in? There are many more choices that you can make, so if you want, go ahead and try your own. What I find is that with time and experience memorizing harmony, singers start to be able to create their own harmony lines. Sometimes they use their favorite harmony strategy to create their own unique artistic definition. The country duo, The Judds, come to mind, where Naomi typically sang a haunting bluegrass style part or two to Winona's lead melody. You'll hear that she didn't always trace the melody in parallel fashion if you listen to their early hit, Grandpa. And I will link to that in the podcast notes. When Winona went solo, her first single was a song called She Is His Only Need. I actually sang backgrounds with the writer Dave Loggins while Winona doubled her own melody so that we created three-part harmony, including the male voice. It was, on purpose, a different sound for her. Now I'd like to give you some of my favorite examples of harmony. First of all, there's a group called Pentatonics, They're a current group doing all kinds of experimental harmonies, and I will link to all of my favorites here, but uh, I particularly love them doing the song Havana. Their vocal arrangement is incredibly creative and tight, and also includes a couple of the voices as trumpet and beatbox, which always makes an interesting addition to harmony. My next example would be the Washington Performing Arts Choir, which illustrates the power complexity, and resonance of black gospel. I would be completely remiss not to mention the absolutely gorgeous harmonies of Vox Grata, which is a woman's choir in Nashville whose members include some friends of mine, including my church's choir director, Jeanette McCallum. 
And let me finish with a group I've been thrilled to work with, the Hall Sisters. When you listen to them, you think they've been pitch fixed, but they actually sound incredibly precise, even live. And I know you must have all kinds of other examples of harmony that I've left out here. After all, harmony is everywhere, weaving through the melodies of the music of the spheres. Well, we've come to the end of another episode. This is Judy Rodman, and you can always find me for help for your own harmony project at judyrodman.com. Tune in next time for another episode of All Things Vocal, the podcast for singers, speakers, vocal coaches, and studio producers.